Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guests on today's podcast are the founders of a BYU club called The Real OCD Club, creating understanding and cultivating hope. And we're here with the four founding members, BYU students, um, upperclassmen at BYU that are talking about their own OCD and creating community and better understanding. And on the podcast, we have Brooke Taylor, Miranda McQuarrie, Caitlin Garcia, and Derek Baker. Welcome to the podcast, all four of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. They are together. I see them on a Zoom link. I'm not with them <laughs> physically, but they're on a Zoom link. They're all four in someone's apartment or a common area at BYU or off campus somewhere. And our hope for this podcast is that as you, we're going to do kind of three parts. We're going to have each of these four people share um, the type of OCD and kind of give an overview of their OCD. And then we're going to probably go a little deeper in specific OCDs and have each of them kind of chime in with their perspective on that type of OCD. Then we're going to talk about the club, um, how the club started and the purpose of the club. So if you have OCD, whether you're a BY student or aren't, or want to help those with OCD, this is a podcast that our prayer, our combined prayers, that will give you insights and hope and perspective and better tools to manage this. This is not a spiritual weakness. <laughs> this is something in a different category as I'm learning. So um, thanks again. Let's start with Brooke. Um, Brooke is Brooke Taylor from Logan, Utah. Tell us your major and where you are at BYU and where you served your mission, Brooke. So, like you said, I'm from Logan and I came to BYU right after high school and I was here for a year and then I served a mission in Colorado Springs. Um, was there for a year and a half and then got back from my mission about two years ago, almost two years now. Um, and I'm studying experience design and management in the Marriott School of Business here at BYU. And um, I was in that building in the late 80s. It's a bigger building now, so I love that building. It's the only building I really got to know at BYU, and it's really cool what you're doing. Talk about the type of OCD you have. Yeah, so um, my story is a little bit different because a lot of people will have tendencies throughout their life and maybe get diagnosed earlier. Um, but a lot of times people get diagnosed um, in their early 20s. And that was the case with me. I definitely had tendencies as a kid growing up. And I would have these questions about um, my religion, or I was always afraid like someone was going to hurt my family or these weird thoughts would come up. But they didn't really start to stick until March of um, 2020. And that's when I had a conversation with some coworkers about, um, a girl at BYU that had committed suicide. And I heard this conversation and, and normally in my life, I would be able to hear a conversation like this and move on from the subject, but it just like stuck in my brain. And I started to feel like it was the most real feeling that that was going to happen to me, that because of the, the anxiety that I was feeling and the things that were going on, that I was convinced that I was going to hurt myself or kill myself um, in some way. And so I started to have all these crazy, scary thoughts and 
um, they, what we call intrusive thoughts. And I was eventually diagnosed with harm OCD along with a couple of other themes, but that's kind of how it started for me. And is that the woman who died by suicide in the Tanner building or was that a, yes. Yeah. Which is the and building I, you do building. Were you in the building that day? Or? I was not in the building that day. I just had heard about it on my mission. That's right. Uh, you were on your mission then. Okay. Yeah. I was on my mission and then I got home from my mission and we were having this conversation and I think it was a trigger for me. And of course, like Corona was happening and a lot of other things were building up. And I think it just reached its peak inside of me. And like, it felt, it was like a light switch. It was like night and day for me, which sometimes people experience that. Like they literally wake up and, and have these OCD intrusive thoughts, but uh, some people don't. So that was just my experience. And um, did you know you weren't suicidal or did you were you able to separate that in your brain the, and learn this is harm OCD versus I'm actually suicidal? Yeah. So that was the really scary part because I've always just thought like you, you are your thoughts, you are what you think about. Um, and that's what I had just believed, um, always taught, you know, we need to have good thoughts. We need to have virtuous thoughts. And since I was having these harm thoughts about hurting myself and it even was hurting other people, like what if I hurt other people? Um, what if I kill somebody else? And I was so shocked because, um, these were against everything that I believed. And so it was, it's a term called ego dystonic. And this means against my values or against the things that I believe. But I didn't realize that at the time. I literally thought I was going crazy. I was like, I, I'm psycho. Like, something is happening to me. Um, I don't know what's going on. And so, yeah, for a long time, these threats were so real. And I thought I'm going to hurt myself or I'm going to hurt somebody because I can't stop thinking about it. And it can't get out of my brain. Um, and it wasn't until I like came across an Instagram post. I was lucky because most people go like 20 years without getting diagnosed with OCD because it's so misunderstood. So I found this Instagram post that was just talking about intrusive thoughts. And I realized, oh my gosh, like it was an answered prayer. I realized this is what I'm struggling with. It's not just normal anxiety. I have a problem, which is OCD. Um, and I was able to talk to some of these people, these three that I knew had it and get some help and resources on how to get diagnosed and that really changed a lot for me. Uh, thanks for having your courage to share this. Um, talk about the other types of OCD you have. Yeah. So my main, um, and I didn't even know this before, but there are a lot of different subtypes of OCD, um, scrupulosity being one of them that. Um, these three will probably talk about more. Um, but I, my main one is harm OCD. Um, and I, I think it's important to recognize that OCD attacks our values, the things that we hold dear the most. And that's why it's so distressing and so scary. So I love people. I love my relationships with people and my family and my friends. And I love my life. You know, I love being alive. And so, um, that's what it attacks with the harm OCD. Um, but then I also struggle with a little bit of relationship OCD, and this can translate into a lot of relationships, whether that be friendships, but especially for me, it's like dating and romantic relationships. Um, so it can be scary because you have these thoughts like, 
you want to make sure you're with the right person, you know, and you're like, you're saying the right things, you're acting the right way. Um, and a lot of people have these thoughts to like varying degrees, but it becomes intrusive and it becomes OCD when they are constantly there and you feel like you have to neutralize or perform these compulsions, which are like mental rituals, um, to reassure yourself that either you're with the right person, um, you're saying the right things, you're doing the right things in the relationship. And that's what causes a lot of the distress. So harm OCD, relationship OCD. And then I also struggle with a little bit of existential OCD. And this is the one that's kind of really out there. Um, but I think it's important to talk about because it's one of the taboo themes. And this is where you like question your existence. You know, why, why am I here when logically, like I know, because I have a belief in, in pre-mortal life and in God and him being my heavenly father. But that's why OCD is so strong because it doesn't listen to logic. And so these logical thoughts that I have where I know why I'm here and I know where I'm going turn into these really scary fears of why can't I figure this out? How do I know for sure if God is real? Um, and it just tends to spiral. Thank you, Brooke. Um, you're very articulate. I love the way you've introduced these other ones we've never talked about on the podcast. In fact, all three of these, we've, we've talked a little bit about relational relationship, but not harm or ex, I can't even say that word, listeners, ex, ex, I can't quite get it out. <laughs> it's a hard one. Existential. Existential. And yeah. so um, thank you for that. And thank you for your service in Colorado Springs. And um, maybe we'll go right to your companion in Colorado Springs. I think mm -hmm. you were her trainer, um, uh, Miranda McQuarrie. Miranda, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much. Um, I think you grew up in Provo. You're a tell our listeners um, what you're studying and what year you are at BYU and your type of OCD. So I am studying at BYU um, to be a speech language pathologist. My major is called communication disorders. I'm a junior right now, which is exciting. So I have one more year and then a master's degree ahead of me to be ready to be a speech language pathologist. Um, my main form of OCD is scrupulosity, um, which like you said, has been talked about before. Um, there's been a little bit more awareness of that in the church lately, which has been really awesome because I think it's, it's one that, cause like Brooke said, when OCD really attacks your values. And so if you really, really care about like the gospel, for example, um, or like for me, something that gets attacked a lot with my OCD is like being worthy to go to the temple and holding a temple recommend, things like that, keeping my covenants. Um, OCD takes that and just like tries to rip it to shreds, right? Um, so there's a lot of that that you can see at the church, a lot of that you see at BYU. Um, for me, it was pretty pronounced growing up. I didn't know it at the time. Um, but like at the end of my mission, when I'd kind of figure some things out, I got this email from my mom and she was cleaning out the house. She's like, Hey, check this out. Look at what I found. And it was this little note that I had written. I was probably like 10. Um, and I remember writing it where it was this really detailed list of all the people that I needed to ask for forgiveness from of all the things I needed to repent of and what I needed to do to repent. And it was like very meticulous. And then on the back, there was this thing that was like, what to do if you have a bad thought? 
And it was like, count to a hundred three times. And then like, close your eyes and pray really hard. Like very much like compulsion. Right. And I remember having a lot of those thoughts and feelings growing up, but it wasn't until my mission, um, actually right before my mission, like when I got endowed a couple months before I left on my mission, a couple weeks before I got endowed, I just, same with Brooke. I felt like I was going crazy. Like I just, I couldn't stop my thoughts. They were just racing at a mile, a hundred miles an hour and thinking about all these things that may, I had done in my life that might've disqualified me from going to the temple. And then I was sitting in the session my first time and I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not worthy to be here. You know, and I left on my mission and I had a day in the MTC, which was actually the day we were talking about the law of chastity. And that was a trigger for me. Like I just, I had this realization where I was like, maybe I'm not morally clean. And I couldn't really put my finger on anything super specific. I'd never kissed a boy. I never, actually, no, I'd held hands with one person. Like that is the extent of my physical relationship <laughs> with anyone, right? But I'm sitting there in the MTC like, oh no, I'm going to go to hell. Like I am the worst. I should not be a missionary. I should um, not have gone to the temple. Like all these things, Heavenly Father must be so disappointed in me and hate me and like all this stuff. Um, and from then on, especially during the time where I was with Brooke, she was my trainer, that I had a really, really hard time. And I emailed my mom and was like, hey mom, so this is what I'm struggling with right now and I have no idea what's going on. And she sent me back this like um, definition of OCD. So I'd always thought like OCD, fixing paintings and washing your hands, dusting lot <laughs> you know so I was like that's not OCD and I had struggled with anxiety before when I was 10 I'd been to a therapist about anxiety but it then went away so I felt like it had nothing to do with that but then I read the definition and it was very much what Brooke was talking about with like, intrusive thoughts obsessive thoughts and not being able to get them out and then like performing compulsions for me it was compulsive repentance like over and over and over again for the same thing over and over like I just and I never felt like it was enough like I had to do something else like everybody could be forgiven but me because I hadn't done exactly what I needed to. to be forgiven. And at, it was at that moment, I remember sitting at the computer in the little lodge that was by our apartment complex, reading this email that I just was like, there might actually be a problem. <laughs> that is the best news I've had in months <laughs> because it means I'm not psycho. And it means that I, I might not be this awful covenant breaker who was going to be a son of perdition, you know, like wow. there were there, it was such a light that turned on for me. And I was able to start seeing the mission therapist and I got on medication and I ended up having a lot of companions who struggled with OCD in some form. And I was able to help them recognize that and like start getting therapy. And that was something I really recognized. The Lord was like, all right, here you go, Miranda. Like you figured out what you have now go help these people too. Like without a fail, I would find out who was going to be my companion. And I'd be like, all right, I wonder how long it will take for them to tell me that they feel like there's something wrong with their minds. <laughs> and about two weeks into every transfer, they'd be like, have a meltdown and tell me like all these things. Like, sister, I know how you feel. This is what I'm struggling with. Like, I think you, we should probably get to acclimation therapist. And I'd always be like, no, I'm fine. I'm just a wreck. And I'm like, no, 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 you need help. And so we would, we would go. And a lot of a lot of people that I encountered also had that that same kind of scrupulosity that was triggered. 
Um, that's a great segment. Both you, Miranda and Brooke, that have spoken so far, that's really powerful. You're powerful. I love there's no shame. There's owning this. I love this the moment you're bringing us to, Miranda, your computer screen. I think that's your mom that's helping you at this point. Is that the you're reading from your mom? And you're, I'm just trying to, at your computer screen, when you realize this is not a spiritual weakness, this could be, this could be a problem. Mm-hmm. And most people, when they hear the word problem, it's a negative thing. But for you, that was, you moved it from one bucket to another that was just so helpful. Yeah, definitely. When it was like, the, I, the first day I went into the mission therapist's office, I remember sitting down and being like, I have this problem, fix me. And he was like, Sister McCory, I'm not here to fix you. And I was like, there were a couple of times where he said things that I just had never even fathomed. You know, he was like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. You just have something different with your brain. And we're going to help you know how to live with it. And my first thought was, no, I wanted to be gone. I wanted to never have these bad thoughts. Or that's what I always call them, bad thoughts which was a problem, you know, like categorizing things, being like, if I think this, then I'm bad. If I don't think this, then I'm good. But he told me like, no, you're fine. I'm not here to fix you. You don't need to be fixed. You just need to think differently, pretty much. Which is the point that I've come to that, like, I have struggled and I continue to struggle sometimes, but like, it's okay. And it's not who I am, but it's just like, it's a part of me that, I don't have to fix. I just have to work on in different ways that maybe others, some other people do. That's cool. Yeah. A lot of people can live in that space versus the space that we may want to naturally go to is the completely put it behind a space or completely mm-hmm. fix it space. But I've learned from other podcasts that living with the ambiguity is part of the therapy that is part of OCD. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been very okay. helpful for me. For sure. Um, we'll talk more, Miranda and Brooke, but let's go to Caitlin. Caitlin Garcia is okay. also from Logan, Utah. I think Brooke and Caitlin yes. know each other. You're an art major. You're a senior. Um, you served yeah. a mission in Texas, Fort Worth. So tell us more about you and your scrupulosity. Okay. Um, so yeah, kind of like Miranda and what I guess there's similarities in all of our stories because OCD definitely has a very obvious pattern, um, <laughs> but it is different for me. Um, so I, looking back, well, so for me, it started when I was like in high school or when I got into young women's, um, and it, but it didn't get severe until my mission. And I think this is something that's actually pretty common just because the mission is already, it's, it's intense and it's stressful. So if you have any sort of predisposition for um, OCD, it can be, it can come out like in full kind of in every, like, yeah, it can come out way stronger when you're a missionary. Um, so like growing up or yeah, when I was a young woman's, I would get, I remember like the first time going to the temple feeling so anxious. Um, but I, I didn't have a name for that feeling at the time. I didn't know that's like what anxiety felt like. Just this, this off feeling because everything was so orderly and perfect. And they, they took us in this room and they explained to us like where to go for, to change into our baptismal clothes and where to sit. And 
I was feeling so anxious that I was going to mess something up because everything there is supposed to be perfect and holy and everything. Um, and kind of as time went on, that kind of OCD, it kind of, it's like a vicious cycle. Um, and so I, we would be going to the temple and I would remember that anxious feeling. And then I kind of started to think, well, why am I feeling anxious about this? It must, like, is it because I'm not worthy to go to the temple? And um, kind of started to latch onto this idea of like unworthiness, like Miranda mentioned. Um, and my friend, like, uh, I had some friends who would invite me to go to the temple before school, sometimes to do baptisms. And I would want to go because I, you know, I wanted to do the right thing. I knew it would be like a, you know, I knew it was like a good thing to do, but I would, so I didn't want to tell them no, but I felt really anxious about going. And I thought maybe I was, maybe I had sinned in some way. And so I would just like sleep through my alarm and be like, sorry, I missed it. And kind of just started avoiding things. And then when I decided to go on a mission, um, it was just kind of, it's just started to grow a lot more. And I just started to have this feel like just all these like intrusive thoughts of like, or they were, it wasn't overwhelming at that time, but it was there. Um, just thinking like, am I worthy enough? I don't know. And just kind of never quite feeling satisfied with the answer I received. Um, and then kind of throughout my mission, it really came to a climax, like in the, the end of my mission, um, where, you know, everybody has like sexual thoughts that come through their mind. Um, it's just like a part of being a human. Um, but with OCD and especially like if you, if you struggle with scrupulosity and kind of especially centered on around like purity for me, like I would have like a thought like that. And like Miranda said, kind of labeling that as that's a bad thought, trying to push it out. Um, and then by doing so kind of becoming obsessed with like trying to get rid of those thoughts, which only kind of, you're only dwelling on it that way. Um, so it was like, it was really, Oh, it was um, really overwhelming as a missionary, because I already had this worry that I like wasn't good enough. Um, and so it just kind of snowballed until I just felt like I was, I was being attacked by like these thoughts that I didn't want and thinking that I was unworthy and that I was at the end of my mission. And the, I remember like the last night of my mission, just crying and thinking that I was going to go home, confess all my sins, which like I hadn't done anything, but it felt so real. Like they kind of mentioned, you feel like you're going crazy because you know, it's not, you're pretty sure it's not real, but it feels so real. And, um, thinking that like, I'm going to go home, confess my sins and probably be like excommunicated. Cause I just served a whole mission while I was like sinning and I didn't tell anyone, um, except for like twice when I like told my mission president, I had sinned when I hadn't really. Um, and then, um, yeah, so I'm talking a long time. Do you have, you're doing fine. Okay. You have, yeah. Um, is this sounds, I want to talk a little bit about, do you call this sexual OCD? When um, you talk about, there, 
because I love the way you normalize sexual thoughts. And I've just felt like that that's a normal thing. And everybody that's a human being is going to have sexual thoughts. And, yeah. but as a missionary, when you start to think those thoughts that are normal thoughts, I recognize where this sort of spiraled for you and you do a great job, Caitlin, of sort of articulating that trying to get rid of these thoughts that actually made them stay more with me um, mm-hmm. because your OCD, it sort of added to the whole challenge of, of this. Um, so that's very helpful. Any more you want to share on just sexual OCD? Um, I think that pretty much covers everything like with, with my experience. Um, how did you get diag- to talk a little bit about how you got diagnosed then? Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, I got home from my mission and it was still like, it, it didn't really like go away. And, um, I felt so overwhelmed. I remember praying of, and I, it was to the point where I was having like suicidal thoughts, not like I wasn't going to act it out, act on any of them, but it was just so hard. I felt like I'd rather be dead than having to feel this way. It's honest. Um, and I remember praying just saying like, Heavenly Father, I just can't do this anymore. I can't. So either like send me some help. Like, I don't know what to do. I like, I can't do this anymore. Um, and then it was, I really saw his hand, um, helping me at that point because my mom had had a conversation and then happened to bring something up that led to me, um, opening up to her about what I was going through. Cause I hadn't really told anyone at that point. Um, and my dad is actually a, a psychologist. Cool. And so he, at that point kind of t- taught me some skills. He didn't tell me I had OCD or try to diagnose me. Um, but he taught me kind of how to start to what, what in therapy, a lot of times we call like acceptance commitment therapy. Or instead of rather than fighting your thoughts, you're just kind of being mindful of them and letting them pass, um, which was really scary and hard at first. Um, but yeah, and so from there, that, um, that, that things got a lot better, but there was still kind of still, I still had like those tendencies. Um, and then like a, a year or two later, I was when I told a therapist about it. And really realized what it was. Um, And at first I was kind of like, no, like, I don't have OCD. Um, I have a a grandma who has really severe contamination OCD. And so in my mind, that's what OCD was. Um, Which is kind of like what classically people think of, like Miranda mentioned with hand washing. Um, and a bunch of other stuff, but I kind of realized, um, like that, well, I started to like get help for it and just my life has been better than I thought it could when I was, when I was at like such a low point. Thank you, Caitlin. Did a great job talking about this. I have one question for you. Okay. If you could go back and talk to yourself, um, that night as you were leaving your mission, which when you were in such a difficult spot, what mm. would you say to yourself if you could just talk to yourself? Mm, that's a good question. 
I think I would tell myself like, I think I would tell myself that there is like an explanation for what I was feeling um, and that it would get better. Okay. As simple as that is, just because I felt just so hopeless at the time. What would you tell yourself about the type of mission you served? I would tell myself that I, I did my best and that I, I served, you know, like with my whole heart and that's all I could really do. Good. Yeah. Thank you, Caitlin. So we've heard yeah. from Brooke yeah. first, Miranda second, Caitlin third, just to kind of keep order for listeners that are trying to keep track of voices. And now we're going to hear from Derek Baker. Um, Derek, introduce yourself to us, where you served your mission, what you're studying and the type of OCD. Perfect. Thank you again for having us. Um, yeah, I'm Derek Baker. I'm from St. George, Utah. Um, did you say where I served a mission? Sure. I served a mission in Pachuca, Mexico. And I am studying Greek New Testament at BYU, where I'm a junior. Just tell us a little bit about Greek New Testament. That sounds really cool, Derek. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. It requires a little bit of explanation most of the time. Um, so essentially, um, the actual major is called Ancient Near Eastern Studies. Yeah. Um, and then the emphasis is in Greek New Testament. I typically just say Greek New Testament because it's a little bit more understandable to people. Um, so essentially, I'm just getting trained to read uh, Greek and to understand the New Testament in its historical context, um, both to be able to read the original text of it, well, the closest thing we have to the original text of it, um, in the original language, and then understand um, the, the world in which the New Testament came about. That's really cool. And, and that's part of the Kennedy Center, and um, our family loves the Kennedy Center and the great work being done there in all parts of BYU. Um, wonder, that's really cool. Um, talk about your type of, and are you a junior, a senior? Where are you in school? Do I'm you? a junior. You're a junior. And I think I may have mentioned this. Everybody's single on this podcast, except Caitlin, who we just heard from is married. And so all four of my guests are single. Talk about your type of OCD, Derek. Perfect. So I primarily deal with scrupulosity. Though I do uh, dabble in a lot of other stuff. Um, most of it all ties back to scrupulosity. I also have had episodes of sexual orientation OCD, of pedophilia OCD, contamination, harm, you name it. I have had it to differing extents. Um, thanks for just being honest about some of those. Will you talk more about what pedophile, pedophilia, if I'm using the right vocabulary, OCD yes. is? So essentially, um, in the same way that you will have obsessions about, say, if your countertop is contaminated with COVID-19 or something like that, um, and therefore you compulsively clean it because you're trying to neutralize the obsession, a person with pedophilia OCD obsesses over whether or not they're a pedophile. Um, and that can start with a simple thought of being like, oh, look how cute that little girl is. Right. And then from there, for a person with OCD, your brain will just work wonders with that one completely innocent, normal thought. Right. <laughs> um, trying to find the meaning behind it. And so essentially, you can just spiral down this rabbit hole to where. At least for me, at periods, it's been like 24 seven, every 
waking second of the day. Um, what if I'm a pedophile? How do I know that I'm not? And if I am, what do I do? Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's the gist of it. It's just OCD based around the theme of what if I'm a pedophile? Um, talk about where that takes you emotionally. Does that take you to really dark places where you think about suicide? That one in particular um, is definitely one of the toughest ones that I deal with. Uh, whereas other things like harm OCD, you know, if I get a thought about stabbing my roommate, it's easier for me to dismiss that because it's, I don't even know why it is, but it's easier for me to dismiss that. And whereas a thought of what if I'm a pedophile, what if I looked at that kid in a weird way and what that says about me, um, that will stick. And so that definitely takes you to a really dark place. Um, this isn't even the primary one that I deal with, but because it is so kind of taboo and people don't talk about this one in particular, because obviously pedophilia is a, is an issue that people have very strong feelings about and rightfully so. Um, but because of that, it's hard to talk about. Um, yeah. So you definitely brush up against, I've never been suicidal per se, Good. but I have definitely felt what, what Caitlin talked about earlier, where the feeling of I would rather be dead. Um, because you know, you just get beaten to submission at sometimes that you can only take so much. Um, and that's not to say that it's the hardest thing in the world, but it is very difficult. I'm 24 seven. Um, wondering if that's who you really are at the core is pretty brutal spot to be in. And my guess is you do anything to protect kids. And on your mission, yeah, and like, you did, and like Brooke said, OCD strikes at your core values because you can obsess. Well, you can have intrusive thoughts about anything, but you'll only obsess over the ones that matter to you. Um, and so if something doesn't matter to you, it's not going to bug you very much if you have intrusive thoughts about it. Um, so the OCD themes that you have really are an indication of what you deeply care about. Um, so for me, that kind of manifests in um, my identity as a straight man, my <laughs> identity as not a pedophile, and my identity as um, uh, a, a member of the church uh, and trying to be a worthy member of the church in particular. How do you, um, how did you find out about the pedophile OCD and that you really weren't or aren't a pedophile, but this was OCD attacking something that's so, that you value so much? That's an interesting question. So, um, on my mission, my primary issue was the scrupulosity and that actually, that dabbled into both sexual orientation and pedophilia and whatever other kinds of things that I thought could make me um, in some way unworthy. So I remember on my mission, I had this thought of, oh my gosh, I remember seeing my niece and nephew in the bathtub, right? And I had this memory and my mom was giving him a bath or something and I was just in the room. And then I remembered that on my mission. Um, and I could not shake the thought of what if I enjoyed that in a weird way, not in a, oh my gosh, you know, these, my nieces and nephew are so cute and they're having are having fun in the bathtub, right? And that kind of thing, especially on a mission, I mean, it, it, that has the potential to really derail everything. Um, so that was the first kind of experience I had with that particular theme of OCD. And then post-mission, um, 
that kind of theme has become more prominent than it used to be. Whereas before my worthiness concerns were about more kind of rational worries. Um, that theme has become a little bit more prominent uh, just in my post-mission life. And um, yeah. Talk to somebody that has pedophile, pedophilia OCD. What would you say to them to, to help them? Um, first of all, that it's a thing that exists because um, even among people with OCD, that's a, that, that's a really taboo one. It's, it's one thing to talk about how you're afraid that your family's going to die or how you're afraid that um, if you don't clean the countertop, you are going to get sick and die. Um, it's another thing to <laughs> confide in someone and say, I'm kind of worried that I might be a pedophile. <laughs> even though it's the most illogical thing you can ever possibly imagine in your entire life. But to you, it feels like a possibility. Um, and for that reason, it's very difficult. So just the fact that it exists is a really important point to, to jump off of. Um, and from there, that Brooke, I think, mentioned this earlier, that your thoughts don't define you, that you are not your thoughts, um, that you really have no control over what comes into your head. Obviously, you can choose to dwell on certain things or not, but even that for a person with OCD is um, considerably difficult to, to, to draw the line of what is you and what is just random thoughts popping in. Um, so just that you are not your thoughts and that it is a thing that exists and therefore you don't have to you know, there, there is a way to deal with it that is not um, kind of submission to the idea. Maybe I am just a pedophile, right? Um, and kind of leaning in that direction. Great answer. And thanks for just talking about this so factually, um, Derek. And a pretty stand-up guy just to hit this head on. It's yeah, very sure. helpful for me and our listeners, all, all four of you. Um, I wish you could all see their faces because they're bright, they're capable. There's no shame in any of their faces as they talk about this. I just recognize the work that they've done and they, and where they are um, from the emotional perspective, spiritual perspective, and it's, it's great. And you're the right four to be leading this club, um, <laughs> this club that's going to be established at BYU as you're establishing it and will um, perhaps last for decades and decades um, because this issue is not going away. Um, and it's, it's not a sign of the last days or you're a weaker generation. It's just a reality of life. You, I'm glad you kind of cringe. <laughs> um, you're taking on things that, you know, I'm nearly 60 years old that our generation had, but probably never really understood what was going on. So I think this is an improvement of society and an ability to, to help and heal each other in a time that's really needed. Talk about sexual orientation, Derek, sexual orientation, OCD. Sure. So um, this one is not as big of an issue, but it's definitely been there um, and pops up from time to time. Um, and that's the case with, with most of them. They, they kind of fluctuate to varying degrees. Some of them are more severe at times, and, and then they, were, they kind of um, will fall back while other ones take their place. Um, but with sexual orientation OCD, essentially um, a straight person will obsess over whether or not they're gay, and a gay person will obsess over whether or not they're straight. Because all it is, is it questions your identity. Um, and then obviously with all the, the caveats in between there, um, between gay and straight. 
But um, that one, I remember uh, I was sitting on my couch playing a video game with my roommate. And I had the, the video game controller on my lap. Um, and he needed to like skip forward in the game or something. I don't remember. But he so like he pushed the button of the controller that was on my lap. And I remember it brushed up against my uh, groin. And that happened. And I could not shake that for like a month. What if I enjoyed that? What if I wanted him to do that? What if I should have stopped him from doing that, but did not because I actually wanted it to happen because I'm gay. Um, not that being gay is bad. It's just not who I think I am. Um, and so it really kind of strikes at the core of, it, it throws everything in a way that it makes it so that you can't think about anything else. Because if you're really questioning who you are at the core of your being, how could you possibly focus on your math homework? How could you possibly, <laughs> how could you possibly go to work and worry about making money when you don't want to get out of bed in the morning? Because what if you're actually a pedophile? Um, and so it's really all of those kinds of issues, um, especially in the church, whereas outside the church, maybe um, a person with sexual orientation, OCD, won't deal with it um, as severely. But because of um, church culture and the, you know, the desire to get married in the temple, uh, it's definitely a bigger deal that it, when it interacts with my scrupulosity than it might otherwise be. Uh, that was a really good segment also, um, Derek. And I'm glad you just gave an example like that. Took a little bit of courage just to say that. Um, but I recognize where that innocent situation then because of your scrupulosity um, caused you to go through the thoughts you went through. I like the way you framed up pedophilia OCD as clearly something that's bad. And I like the way you pivoted with sexual orientation OCD that you didn't, you, and, and you talked about it from the sense of gay and straight people would have opposite of that. And you just, and you made, you didn't, and so I'm sensitive any gay listeners, the way you cr just couch that in a sense that that's not a bad thing, but you're trying to figure out, you're trying to talk about OCD and it causes you to believe something about you that you're not. Um, so that was helpful. Any, if I, is anything you want to add to that? Or are you okay with the way I just kind of talked about that? Yeah, I'm definitely okay with that. Um, just want to reaffirm again that a, a gay person with sexual orientation OCD would obsess um, to the same degree about whether or not they're straight. Um, and it could be just as, um, as debilitating. So yeah, I just want to make that clear. And I think for what parents listening and have got LGBTQ kids, I don't think Derek or me are saying that your kids are just confused into being LGBTQ because they have OCD. These are two different things. Core hardwired sexual orientation is one thing. OCD is another thing. And, and, and to separate those two and not just um, use this in any sort of a weaponized way to say, well, you're just confused because you have OCD. Are you okay with anybody want to add anything to that or is that okay? I have something kind of like that same concept and how it relates to other forms of OCD. Good. Um, because it can be like by that same um, right, like with scrupulosity, for example, um, it can be easy to be like, oh, well, I have scrupulosity, therefore you can exempt me from having to read my scriptures every day because it's stress. 
or like I have scrupulosity. So if I don't go to church, like that's actually good because I'm fighting back against my OCD. Um, and that's like, for me, it was a huge blessing that I realized this is something I struggled with on my mission because I couldn't just stop going to church. <laughs> you know, I couldn't just stop reading my scriptures. Like we had an hour a day blocked out to read the scriptures and read conference talks and things like that. I think that OCD is less about trying to drop the things out of your life that trigger you and more about reclaiming your life. It's about conscientiously choosing things. You know, like for Derek every day when he was struggling with that, it's like eventually you have to come to a point where you conscientiously choose who you are. Or like for me, it's I have to conscientiously decide I'm going to read my scriptures because I want to, not because I'm scared that if I don't, God will punish me. And so it's like the, the goal with OCD is not to avoid as many triggers as possible or to avoid topics that are uncomfortable or to avoid situations that might make you stressed. The goal is to reclaim what has been stressful in the past. Yeah. That's great. And that was Miranda. I'd love to talk about, um, we talked about this before we went live, a little bit about sometimes where someone will, because of OCD, feel like, you know, they're not, feel like their best path is to actually separate them from the church. And Miranda, this is kind of maybe what you were leading into, but I, I want everybody possible to stay in the church. And I recognize sometimes people leave because the church culture or because they're OCD, just because of things they actually, it's not a doctrinal issue, it's other issues they step away and they actually are okay with our cord restored doctrine. Um, talk about, if anybody wants to talk about how OCD can play a part of this. Um, I, I would just say like, and this is Caitlin for our listeners. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess just kind of going off of what, um, what you guys were saying, um, I kind of just came to the realization when I started actually getting treatment and kind of accept, like realizing what, what, um, I had and kind of coming to, uh, like come making peace with that, I guess, like, I kind of realized like church might always make me anxious. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to go to like a sacrament meeting and not feel anxious, like ever again in my life and kind of realizing like, I'm okay with that, you know, but some, some people, they, maybe they haven't come to that realization and it can be, for me, it's been possible because of treatment and the skills that I've learned to help me deal with that anxiety and um, those things. And because, you know, it, and it does take faith and it, um, and it's not always easy. And so it, it's kind of a different path for everyone, I think. Thank you. How do you deal with that? Yeah. I love you said, I may be anxious for the rest of my life going to church. And so that to me is you accepting sort of the ambiguity of your situation. Did I lose you guys? I think I did something, Chris. Oh, there you're back. Oh, hi again. Hello, back. <laughs> that was quick. You got right back on. So anyway, I was just saying, and I think our listeners heard this, but we briefly lost the Zoom as I, I thought it was great that Caitlin just said, this may be the reality. You're just living with the ambiguity of church may always make me feel anxious. 
And maybe that's better than saying at some point it's not. And just living with that and staying in that space is maybe a better, I think that's what you're helping me understand versus if I were your priesthood leader or your friend saying, you need to get to the space, Caitlin, where it's not, you don't feel anxious at church and you may just not be able to get to that space. Talk yeah. more about just it, others that chime in on this too. I, I just want to add on to that piece of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, that's like the, the theme of OCD. I feel like, like we have to be okay with uncertainty because you don't know what your life is going to turn out to be. And I think that's kind of what OCD wants to control, right? It wants to see, um, it wants to see your life through. It wants to know the beginning from the end and it wants to have those black and whites answered, right? It's, there's no gray area in OCD. Um, and so that's why treatment is so important. And I think we wanted to emphasize that too, that, right, we're not therapists, we're not um, specialized in OCD therapy, but each of us has gone to some sort of um, therapy that, that has helped us with this concept of building that uncertainty. Um, for me personally, I was able to go to the OCD and anxiety treatment center. Um, and that's located in Bountiful and also in South Jordan, but it was during coronavirus crazy stuff. So everything was telehealth, but it's really cool for people who feel like OCD is debilitating and they need help. Um, I was um, able to attend an intensive outpatient program. And this is where I would attend therapy for, um, three hours a day, five days a week. And um, we would do something called ERP, which is exposure and response prevention. So you've probably heard of this talking with other people with OCD on the podcast. Um, but tell our listeners but, what that is. What? Yeah, go ahead and tell our listeners what ERP is. Yeah, so it stands for exposure and response prevention. Um, and this basically is where... Um, and it, I learned this the hard way because right when like OCD hit me, I was like, I need to go to therapy. I need to get counseling. I need to get help. And so I, I went to a regular talk therapist um, and not to say that this therapist was bad in any way, but he wasn't trained in OCD specific therapy and he wasn't to blame. I wasn't to blame because none of us, neither of us knew that we had OCD Um and so for this reason, I'd go to therapy and I'd talk to him and I'd be like, hey, listen, like I'm having these really bad thoughts and I feel like I might kill somebody. <laughs> and he'd be like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about maybe what that means. And that is going to destroy the OCD brain, right? Like my flare ups, like trying to figure out, oh my gosh, like why, if you're trying to find the meaning, yeah you're trying to find the meaning to those thoughts, you're going to run into a dead end and the OCD spikes and the anxiety spikes. And that was my experience is um, my OCD got worse and worse as I went to this regular talk therapy. And so then actually I called Caitlin because she had mentioned she'd been open on social media about experiencing OCD. And I thought maybe that's what I had. And I was able to call her. She told me about the OCD and anxiety treatment center. Um, and they introduced me to exposure and response prevention. So this is where you're in therapy. It's not just talk therapy where, where therapists are maybe like giving you reassurance. Um, 
because that also spikes the OCD. Um, like, no, Brooke, like you're not a serial killer. You're not going <laughs> to hurt yourself. You're, um, I don't know, just like reassuring me of my fears added meaning to those thoughts and those fears when they have none. Like Derek said, these thoughts come in because of the OCD and because of the things you value and that you can't attach yourself to them at all. So that's what I learned in therapy and they would expose me to things that I was afraid of. So some of my exposures would be like, I had to listen to serial killer podcasts or I had to watch, I had to watch the Elizabeth Smart documentary or I had to read the Elizabeth Smart book. All these things that I would just avoid because these were things that I was afraid were going to happen to me or that I was going to do. Um, and so being exposed to these lessened my fears. Um, and it's helped a ton, not to say that OCD is gone. Like I still deal with that every day, but I can not attach myself to those thoughts now. And I can, I can be more present, I guess is what it's helped with. Mm-hmm. More thoughts on anybody wants to chime in on any issue right now. Um, well, I was just thinking, I've never been to like an OCD specific therapist, but the therapists that I have been to have been trained in OCD. So the person that I'm currently seeing, I was talking to her about OCD a couple of weeks ago, right? Because that's the problem. And I was asking her about like, what are some different ways that you can have, like that I can have exposure therapy, like for the things that I struggle with? Because um, more recently I was in a relationship and that's when I realized something was wrong with like OCD relationship wise. So I went, I did a Google search and I was like, oh my word, relationship OCD is a real thing. Like it's a, it's a more recent type of OCD per se. They're doing research into and stuff. But it was that same kind of thing where you take your average amount of thoughts that everyone has, they're in a relationship, they're not sure if it's right, and like they don't know about this thing about this person. But like Derek, that was all I thought about 24-7. Like it was debilitating. I could not experience joy or happiness because when I was with my boyfriend or when I was not with my boyfriend, I was just like so stressed out of my mind. I was like, hey, I need to make a decision now. Are we gonna keep dating? Are we not? Like, is this right? Is this not? Like, what's things are wrong with him. Let's make a checklist, but things are good about him. You know, like, and it was in my thoughts all the time. I'd watch the movie and be like, wow, maybe my boyfriend, it would, I'd be better off if he was like this or like this, you know, like it was, it was very much harmful <laughs> for me and living a happy life. So I was talking to my therapist about that. And I was like, so how does one like have exposure therapy? Cause we're no longer dating my boyfriend. And I, or I and I was like, so I can't just like, go call up a random dude and be like, Hey, will you be my fake boyfriend? I need exposure therapy. Like, it's not how it works. Right. Um, but she was saying like the exposure is just like experiencing the thoughts that you do and then not having compulsions about it. So like what I would do when I'd be super stressed about is my boyfriend right for me? I would go seek reassurance, like Brooke was talking about. Reassurance is so bad for OCD. And I did not know that for years, which is why it got so bad in different instances, because I was always going and seeking reassurance. And in this specific relationship I was in, I was very much about like reassuring myself or like listening to other people's stories about their relationships and then reassuring myself based off those. And so she was like, the way to have exposure therapy is to let yourself experience the discomfort, experience the thoughts, and then not go seek reassurance. And so I've applied that to like 
different areas of OCD in my life. Like I wake up, oh no, I overslept. It's 10 o'clock. I have class in an hour. I'm not going to have time to read my scriptures. And instead of like being super stressed out and like hurrying and scrambling around, like reading a verse or telling myself, you're not a bad person. It's okay. I just let myself kind of sit with that feeling be like, okay, I'm anxious about that. It's okay. And then go and do something else, eat breakfast, get ready for my class. And then after the class, I make the decision, okay, I want to read my scriptures now of my own free will and choice. And then I do, and it's great. Um, but it's all about, like, you don't have to go to a specialized clinic for certain things. Um, I don't, I haven't had like hormones due to the effect that, um, or the extent that Brooke has. And the things that I've struggled with largely I've been able to decrease the intensity just by like understanding what they are facing them and then not reacting to it in a compulsive way. And that's helped me really manage things. So like, if you're a listener and you're listening and you're like, Oh no, I think I might have OCD, but like, I don't have the resources right now to go to like a specific ERP clinic or anything like that. You can do ERP in little ways. I think, on yourself by experiencing the obsession and then fighting the compulsion and not responding to it. Those are great segments. So, um, great job, Miranda and Caitlin and Brooke in that earlier segment, Caitlin, before that. Um, those are great. And uh, you're not therapists, but you have incredible insights because you're walking this road that are helpful for listeners. <laughs> Lots of time there. <laughs> Talk about, and I just, as I've learned more about this, listeners, I recognize my natural reaction is to, is to do the thing that is not helpful here is the reassurance come part of this. And so I think <laughs> that's where we as parents yes. and, and priesthood leaders and friends, this is why this is really helpful because I would reassure all of you that you're not any of these things you're thinking about. <laughs> And I recognize that the ERP therapy, from what I've learned, is particularly helpful. And you live with the ambiguity. And, and so that's helpful. Let's talk about the club in this last segment. Um, um, just let's, the name of the club, let's have um, somebody <laughs> take this. I'll just turn it back to you. How the club started, the name of the club, and the purpose of the club. Sure. Sorry, I just got chosen. Um, <laughs> so the name of the club is Real OCD BYU. Um, you can probably find, if you type that in, the, the page for it on Instagram and Facebook and the like. Um, and essentially, what we're going to try to do, um, we're still going through some paperwork stuff <laughs> to get official with BYU. Um, but when all that is settled, we're going to try to be meeting over Zoom um, in the near future, given the state of the world. Um, <laughs> Uh, and basically we're, we're just planning on meeting occasionally. Um, not so much as uh, a source of reassurance for people with OCD. Um, but <laughs> just just as a, yeah, that's so ironic. <laughs> a resource that can be used because it is helpful to know other people's experiences. Um, just that you are not crazy. Well, I'm a little bit crazy, but <laughs> that you're not, there's nothing wrong with you that other people struggle with this. Other people live normal lives. Other people um, go about their day and they, they deal with OCD um, to the best extent that they can. Um, and that's a really knowing other people really helps with, with having that knowledge. Um, 
So we'll be trying to meet over Zoom occasionally in the in the near future. Uh, sorry, what else did you want to know? <laughs> tell our um, listeners how to find, tell us again the name of the group and where to find you on social media. Oh yeah, I was just going to add something. Um, Good. But this yeah, is the name Brooke is speaking. on on Instagram, it's Real OCD BYU. And I think it's the same. It's like a public page on Facebook. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, and it's Real OCD BYU as well. And we'll post like updates and information on there. Um, but it was really interesting. Derek talked about it a little bit earlier, um, how we were just, I think we were with friends and we were just camping and we figured out we both had OCD. We talked and said, hey, there's probably other people that are experiencing this um, that need some help. And we decided that we wanted to start a club. And I think it's really cool looking back on my own experience, being able to see like how God has put people in my life. Like, I feel like he knew, <laughs> well, obviously he knew, but I feel <laughs> like he really knew that this was something I was going to struggle with. And he knew that I didn't want, that I couldn't do this alone. Right. And so he gave me Miranda on my mission, even though I hadn't experienced OCD yet, he gave me a companion that has experienced this, someone in high school that I knew, and then someone in college. Like, I feel like every phase of my life was covered with someone who'd experienced this. And so it's really cool to be able to hear their insights. They're awesome. Um, and they all have different experiences with OCD. And that's really why we wanted to start the club was so that we could be help for other people. And I actually posted about... Um, my OCD and my diagnosis on like Instagram, on social media, like a couple weeks ago. And it's been so amazing to see how many people have reached out to me and said like, Brooke, I had no idea. Or like, Brooke, this is what I experienced too. People from my mission, people at BYU. So I think it's a bigger problem. It's more widespread than we think. And, and that's why we really wanted to start this club to, like we said, cultivate understanding and help people have hope that um, you can live a successful, happy life, even with um, a mental health diagnosis like this. Talk, that's awesome. Talk about um, why this isn't a spiritual weakness and isn't solved by increased spiritual behaviors or increased religious behaviors. Who wants to take it? Even though you would naturally think that's the way I'm going to solve this, I'm just going to be take on more religious behaviors to solve yeah. this. I think that um, something I've thought a lot about recently and since like OCD has become a more obvious part of my life is I was taking a mission prep class before my mission at BYU, amazing professor, and he said something really powerful. He used to be a mission president in Thailand and they were having like a mission president seminar type deal. And one of the speakers um, was talking about like how to help missionaries who are struggling or how to help missionaries who are kind of um, like working themselves to death, working themselves beyond what is healthy to do, like not taking P days when they should and instead just working, like that's not going to be sustainable, for example. Um, and she said, make sure your missionaries know that there's nothing you can do that will make God love them more. And I thought that was really profound because I've always thought, yeah, there's nothing I can do that, make, that can make God love me less. But on the flip side, there's nothing that you can do to make God love me more. Like his love is fixed and it's eternal and it's more than we can comprehend. And me like trying to be more 
spiritual, more dutiful and reading my scriptures and attending the temple and things like that, that's not going to increase his love for me or his approval for me. Um, and in that way, like that kind of has, that has taught me a lot that the way to treat my OCD, which, you know, that, that concern that I'm not close enough to God or I'm not worthy to go to the temple or that God doesn't love me. Um, he's going to punish me. That isn't mitigated by doing more than God has asked me to do. Like he doesn't require two hours of scripture study a day. He doesn't ask me to do that. He asks me to come unto Christ. And the way that I do that might be reading the scriptures, even for like five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, and doing that more. And because I'm anxious, not because I, um, it's coming from a good place because it's coming from anxiety. That's not going to make God love me more. That's not going to fix my OCD. Mm-hmm. And it's not a spiritual weakness because um, it's something in my brain that is not the same as a lot of people. Um, and God created me and he created my brain and he loves me regardless. Um, of what I might struggle with. And it's, it's just a difference. Kind of like what I was saying, it's not a weakness, it's a difference. Mm-hmm. And when you can understand that um, and not see yourself as like impaired or ill and beyond hope, like you can know that you're going to be okay and that nothing is really wrong with you. It's a great segment. <laughs> I, I worry that when we went from just regular obedience to perfect obedience, we created less obedience and more anxiety and stress. And so for some, those higher measures of perfect obedience are helpful because it actually, those without OCD may help them lift them to a higher level. But I recognize for a lot of people, um, especially those with OCD, that just creates more burden. Yeah, Um, definitely. And so I think culturally, we've even, I picked up this term a little bit, a sin-resistant generation is another one that we can, as parents, can sort of create a set of circumstances where our kids will never sin or we can do, create a set of circumstances where we'll never sin, including never have bad thoughts. And then I think it just adds to our anxiety, stress, and, and then I think it's harder to feel the spirit. Um, even though this isn't a spiritual weakness, if you're feeling stress and anxiety and you're 24-7 in these thoughts, it's just harder to feel the spirit. And it's not because you haven't, it's not because of sin, it's just because of OCD. So um, any final comments from anybody? I have something, actually. Go for it, Derek. Um, while we were on the topic of, of the compulsions in a religious context, um, I know for me, uh, on my mission, at least, my OCD translated into a compulsion which was constantly confessing. Um, and so, for in a Latter-day Saint context, I think it's really important for anybody that happens to hear this um, to know that confession can be a good thing to do. Um, it can be a helpful spiritual thing, but you have to want to do it. Um, if it's a compulsion, it is doing more harm than good um, because you'll just come right back the next week and confess more stuff. And then again and again and again, um, my personal experience happened to be that I I'm pretty sure I confessed if not every week on my mission, almost like getting really close. Um, I would write up lists of things to confess to the mission president through my emails on Mondays on P days. Um, I would try to give greater detail to things that I had told him in the past, which themselves didn't even need to be said. Um, And so 
confession um, plays an interesting role in um, the life of a person with scrupulosity in an LDS context, particularly. Um, and it can be a very good thing uh, as part of the repentance process, but it has to be um, motivated by your own desire to better your life, um, to get closer to God. It cannot be motivated by, by the fear of punishment from God. Um, in other words, if you want to be good, it has to be out of a genuine desire to do good things, to help people around you, um, not out of fear of punishment. That's a great segment, Derek. Talk to um, ecclesiastical leaders. Help them understand the difference between normal confession, normal needed con- and appropriate confession, and scrupulously motivated, scrupulosity motivated confession. And, and oh, give um, that's an interesting question because I struggle with this myself, knowing exactly where the line is. Um, and I guess that has kind of to do with the fact that there is no list of things that you need to confess um, or not confess. Um, and so I would just say that overscrupulous confession um, is pretty easy to see. Um, I think it's kind of like the Supreme Court's definition of pornography is they didn't come up with an exact definition, but you know it when you see it. Um, and I think it's that similar kind of situation where um, any ecclesiastical leader who has a person coming in and confessing to them over and over, maybe on a weekly basis, maybe monthly, whatever it may be, and sometimes about the same things, attempting to give greater detail to things that they've confessed, um, that's a situation in which I think it's relatively a sure bet that it's scrupulosity-motivated confession. Um, and that they need a different kind of help that's not spiritual. Good. And I would add just the importance if you're an ecclesiastical leader, like if someone keeps coming in for the same thing over and over again, don't keep reassuring them. Like when they come in, don't say, oh, I'm so proud of you for coming in. Like you just wanted to make sure you're good. Like if you say that, then they're going to continue. Like it's not going to get better. Instead, you should say, like, you don't need to be in here for this. Let's get you some real help. Yeah. You know, I like love that. And that, that's it's part just that same thing. Reassurance is not help. That's very helpful. And I love some of the things like Derek. I love that, Miranda. And I love Derek, you sort of talking about um, going back into greater detail of prior confessed sins that like if he, he, if he really understood everything, he wouldn't, you know, I've really done something beyond hope here. One of the guests on our podcast, Tim Chavez, just basically stayed on his mission in the middle of scrupulosity undiagnosed, and he just concluded, I am beyond salvation. I look at it, I'm glad, and he said, I can help other people perhaps be saved. And his older, look, we're all just, his older self now understanding what that is would go back and just love this missionary who gave everything, but because of it attacked, like you're teaching us, it attacked what was so important to him. And so I just am so grateful for the four of you talking about this. There's no shame. This is the no shame podcast, but as I, as you're talking about this, there's no shame around this. Um, I wish you could all see their faces because um, they're not embarrassed about talking about this. They're not sort of looking down away from the camera. They're not sort of looking at each other and saying, oh, I'm talking about this. And so I think it's just 
part of your beautiful life mission and where you are on this is that there's no shame. And it is what it is. It's not a spiritual weakness. It's how you're wired. Three of you are single. I think, um, I think your future spouses will love this about you. I don't. I think they recognize that it makes you a better person. It gives brings Christ-like attributes. Caitlin, you're married. I think your husband, I assume, feels the same way. Um, I just think it brings better gifts in your life to help lift the burdens of others. I think it makes you better parents, better spouses, better human beings. Even though you'd love to press a button and have this lifted from you, I love the way you're saying this is part of my life. It may be my part of my life forever that I'm going to use this part of my life to help others. And I'm going to start this. And I think God's behind you. And I think you're acting on impressions to start this club. So great job, all four of you. On behalf of our listeners, thank you for doing this. And I invite all our listeners to go like this public Facebook page that we've talked about and find their Instagram account, um, The Real OCD Club. If you just try, you know, if you just find that the real OCD club, um, BYU. Anybody? Is there any last comment anybody wants to share? I want to give a quick shout out. To, All right, this is Brooke. Yeah, this is me. I'm giving a shout out to Derek because he actually has an article. Oh no! Um, Good. Let's he, hear that. He would. Derek would never say this. So Brooke, tell us about Derek's article. Derek can give more information if he wants. Maybe he doesn't want me to give this shout out, but he's a great writer, so I wanted to give the shout out. <laughs> well, it was already given, so here we are. Um, so yeah, in the September 2019 digital design in the, I believe it's the young adult section. I think that's what it's called. Um, I had um, an article posted in in that portion of the enzyme. So if anyone feels like that could be helpful, um, that's a thing that exists. Um, but that is also very, very watered down. It is very rated G um, <laughs> because it is the enzyme. Um, and so I think everyone here would be comfortable. If anyone needs help, um, wants to get in touch with us personally, any oh, of us would be more than happy to talk to you. So don't hesitate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I would love to add like one more thing. Um, go for it, Caitlin. Okay. I just, it came to mind when we were talking about enthusiastical leaders. And I think for um, leaders of people who struggle with this and loved ones, sometimes it can feel really scary and like a little like hopeless, like you can't do much to help them. And um, that, and I know that's, that's not easy. I, um, I had a Bishop who once when I, I came to him and told him about, like what I felt I needed to confess. And um, later, I, as I kind of understood what it was OCD and explained that to him, um, he was just so loving. And I remember he just told me like, um, you know, like, I don't know why you have all these, why you have these thoughts. Um, like, but, you know, this is like a burden that like a cross you have to carry. But, and he just kind of like mourned that with me and provided me kind of with, you know, like, I know you can like carry this and that crisis kind of carrying this with you. And even though he, he didn't have the answers or know how to fix it. And I think the best thing you can do for someone that, you know, or love with OCD is just kind of being there with them. Um, 
just kind of sitting with them as they go through those feelings and um yeah i love that caitlin <laughs> and i googled your article derek and um it's called oh, no. My my battle with religious OCD, and that's the September 2019 unsigned. Is that the same issue as Deborah McClendon's issue? That's it is, yeah. It was released as part of her collection of of essays. So I love that, and we've had her on the podcast twice to talk about this subject, and I'm glad now to have you, all all four of you. So, um, on behalf of Brooke Taylor, Miranda. Um, McQuarrie, Caitlin Garcia, and Derek Baker. This is Richard Osler signing off um, from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.